Hello there, faithful listener. You've tuned in to season seven of the Bible Explained podcast. So make sure to grab your cup of coffee because today we are going to be discussing the book of Acts. Well, hello and good morning, friends and faithful listeners. Welcome to the Bible Explained podcast. My name is Jen. I am the host of this podcast. And since today is Thursday, we are going to be reading out of the New Testament today because on Tuesdays and Thursdays, I read out of the New Testament. And on Mondays, Wednesdays and Fridays, I read out of the Old Testament. So we're in the New Testament today. We are in Acts chapter 20, verses 13 through 24. And we left off talking about Paul raising a boy from the dead, or rather God raised the boy from the dead using Paul, because every miracle that is ever done is God. You know, humans have no power of our own to perform miracles. But this young boy named Eutychus, who was sitting in the windowsill listening to Paul preach, ended up falling asleep and falling out of the window, which was three stories up off the ground. And, uh, the boy died. So Paul and the others ran out of the room and looked for you to kiss on the ground. And so Paul embraced the boy after they realized that he was dead. And Paul actually said, there is life in him. And eventually the boy was taken home alive and well is what it says. So this portion that we're going to be reading today takes place right after that miracle happened. So this is Acts chapter 20 verses 13 through 24. And I'll be reading this out of the W.E.B. as I always do. But please feel free to grab your Bible out of the version that you prefer and also your cup of coffee or your cup of tea this morning or your cup of hot chocolate, whatever you want to drink. Just grab a hot beverage to enjoy this morning as we read some scripture together. But we, going ahead to the ship, set sail for Asos, intending to take Paul aboard there, for he had so arranged, intending himself to go by land. When he met us at Asos, we took him aboard and came to Mytilene. Sailing from there, we came the following day opposite Chios. The next day we touched at Samus and stayed at Trogolium, and the day after we came to Miletus. For Paul had determined to set sail past Ephesus that he might not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hastening, if it were possible for him, to be in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. From Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called to himself the elders of the assembly. When they had come to him, he said to them, You yourselves know from the first day that I set foot in Asia, how I was with you all the time, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears, and with trials which happened to me by the plots of the Jews. For I didn't shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable, teaching you publicly and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks, repentance towards God and faith toward our Lord Jesus." Now behold, I go bound by the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions wait for me. But these things don't count, nor do I hold my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy, and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus, to fully testify to the good news of the grace of God. So Paul is currently in Trous at this point, and that was where he raised that boy from the dead. But it says now that it was time for him to make his way to Jerusalem. He really wanted to get to Jerusalem in order to be there for the Pentecost. And for some reason, he was really having a pull from the Holy Spirit to go to Jerusalem for this. So it says that 
we going ahead on the ship set sail for Asos in verse 13. So that means that Luke, the author of Acts, was there because every time we see the word we, Luke is including himself in this. So Luke was accompanying Paul now on this trip. And it says that they were going to sail for Asos, intending to, or Asos, I don't know, attending to take Paul aboard there for he had arranged to walk by land. So for some reason, Paul decided to make the very difficult journey from Trous to Asos by land. And apparently this journey on foot is so notoriously difficult to travel by foot that it was actually mentioned, I believe, either in the Iliad or the Odyssey as being the road that leads to death or something like that. (laughs) I can't remember specifically what it was, but... It was a notoriously difficult trip to travel by foot from Trous to Asos, apparently. And for some reason, Paul wanted to do it. I don't know why he wanted to go by foot when everybody else was sailing, but it's possible that Paul just wanted to travel it by foot and reach people as he was traveling. Maybe that was the best way Paul thought in order for him to reach more and more people for the gospel because he could stop at other people's houses during the evening and, you know, talk to them as he's traveling along. Whereas on a ship, you're with the same people over and over and over again. I don't know. Maybe that was Paul's idea was just traveling on foot to preach the gospel to more people. That would be the only reason I could think that he would do it personally. But I don't know. Maybe he had some other reason that he wanted to travel by foot. So it says that eventually he met the group at Asos. So clearly the ship was already there. It was a faster way to travel. Paul eventually meets them. And so he goes aboard on the ship to the next place to Mytilene. Paul's done with his traveling on foot. He was probably like, all right, I'm definitely ready to take it easy and sail on a ship now. And it says that they came to Mytilene. And sailing from there, they came the following day to a port that was opposite of Chios. And all of these areas, I should mention, were on the northern part of Turkey. Ephesus, if you look at a map of it, Ephesus was kind of more towards the middle bottom of Turkey. And then all these other places that Paul is currently at, like Traus and Mytilene and Chios and Samos, all those cities are more toward the top of Turkey. And they're all port cities, if that helps. They're all cities that you could uh, travel by boat for the most part. So Paul is making his way back down to Jerusalem through all of this and just going from port to port to port. But what he doesn't want to do actually is go back to Ephesus. He wants to sail past Ephesus. And if you remember, Paul had just spent approximately three years in Ephesus building the church there. Like that was one of the uh, places Paul stayed at for the, the longest amount of time. He stayed at Ephesus for many years. So why wouldn't he want to go back? Well, because he had such a good relationship with the people there that if he went to Ephesus, he knew that he would not be able to leave and he had to get to Jerusalem for the Pentecost. He knew that. So here's what it says in verse 16. Paul had determined to set sail past Ephesus that he might not have to spend time in Asia for he was hastening if it were possible for him to be in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. So Paul ends up at this place called Miletus while he's making 
his way down to Jerusalem. And I'm sorry if I'm saying the names wrong every single time and differently every time. It's because I don't know actually how to pronounce any of these names, if I'm being honest. Miletus, Miletus, I don't know. So Miletus, <laughs> no clue how to pronounce this, but he's in this city that looks like Miletus to me. I'm going to just call it Miletus. And Miletus, if you look at a map once again, is right next to Ephesus. It is the port over from Ephesus. So very, very close to Ephesus. So Paul, even though he doesn't want to go to Ephesus, he still wants to see his friends and the elders and the disciples in Ephesus. So he sends a letter to Ephesus from Miletus saying that he is nearby. Please come and visit. So that's what happens. It says that he called the elders of the assembly to himself in Miletus and they came to him in verse 18. So then he preaches to them. And this is a very unique sermon because of the fact that it is the only sermon recorded by Luke in the book of Acts that was originally preached by Paul. So this is the only sermon preached by Paul that is recorded in the book of Acts. There's multiple sermons from Peter in the book of Acts. And there's a sermon by Stephen as well, but there, this is the only sermon of Paul's written in the book of Acts. So that is what makes this sermon so unique. But it's really cool, actually, because this sermon that Paul is speaking right now, that Luke is recording, is super similar to Paul's written letters that we have in the Bible. It is so similar. It's as if it came from Paul's own mouth, because it did. <laughs> So here's what Paul says. He preaches to the Ephesian elders that came to him. And he says in verse 18, when they had come to him, he said to them, you yourselves know from the first day that I set foot in Asia, how I was with you all the time, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and with trials, which happened to me by the plots of the Jews and how I didn't shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable, teaching you publicly from house to house. So Paul has a reason for going into his humility. <laughs> and actually, a lot of people uh, falsely believe that Paul was not a humble guy because of how often he talked about his humility and also because of 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1. And this was a letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthian church. So here's what 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1 says. It says, Imitate me as I imitate Christ. And so, of course, a lot of people are like, wow, that is so arrogant. You know, Paul was not a humble person. He was always talking about his humility. And he says that people should imitate him instead of Christ. But that's not what Paul is saying at all, actually, when he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Rather, he's giving the people something even easier to imitate, if that makes sense. Because Paul was a failing individual. He said of himself that he was the worst of men, right? He was the worst of sinners. He did not think of himself as a good man or as an overly righteous man, but he did think of himself as somebody who did his best and gave his life, poured out his entire life into the ministry. And so since Jesus is absolute perfection and no matter what, we can never achieve that level of perfection. We can look at the life of Paul and Paul through his failings was still able to follow Jesus successfully. And so Paul says, 
If you can't imitate Christ, the absolute model of perfection, then imitate people who do their best to follow Christ. So that is what he's talking about here. He says, look, you Ephesians, you know, you know that I was with you. I served the Lord with humility, which he did because he never expected anything from anybody. He never uh, tried to get anything from anybody. In fact, he, for the most part, provided for himself in a lot of ways. Sometimes the church would give him gifts. And, you know, Paul did say that it was good for the church to provide for their leaders and to give gifts. But for the most part, Paul supported himself. He was a tent maker. That was his career. And then on the side, he was also a preacher. So he was a very humble person. He never expected anything from anybody. And he said he had many tears as well because there were so many trials and plots coming his way. And so he says, I cried and I was with you guys and I did my best with you guys. He says, I didn't shrink back from declaring to you anything that was profitable. I teached you publicly from house to house. So even though all these trials and these plots on his life were constantly coming his way and these threats and everything, he still publicly taught in the churches, just as Jesus did, by the way. You remember, Jesus was constantly having death threats against him, constantly having his life on the line. And yet he was publicly in the synagogue, Sabbath after Sabbath, teaching and preaching in front of the people that wanted to kill him all the time. And Paul did the same thing. He was still a public servant, even though there were many threats on his life. And he says he testified to both Jews and Greeks, the repentance towards God and faith toward our Lord Jesus. And the reason he brings this up to the Ephesian elders is not to make them feel guilty or not to, you know, manipulate them or anything silly like that. It was to tell them that he is about to go to Jerusalem and he may never see them again, but that he has a clean conscience and the things that he did and taught and preached in Ephesus, he had no reason to be ashamed of. And that even though he might not ever see the Ephesian church ever again, because he doesn't know what is about to happen to him, he has a clean conscience and he can leave knowing that good work was done in Ephesus. So he says, Behold, I go bound by the spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. So he has no clue what's about to happen to him. But he does know this in verse 23, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions await for me. So he knows that something bad is going to happen to him. He absolutely knows that if he goes to Jerusalem, something bad will happen to him. Because the Holy Spirit testified to him that something bad was going to happen. So it's very possible that Paul had heard multiple prophecies saying that Paul was in for a very hard time if he goes to Jerusalem. But still, Paul felt bound in his spirit to go to Jerusalem. He felt this like call that he still had to go there and that it was necessary for him to go. So that is why he is saying goodbye to these Ephesian elders. He's saying, I don't know if I'm going to die if I go to Jerusalem. I don't know if I'm going to get thrown into prison. I don't know what's going to happen. I know something bad is going to happen. And that is why I am saying goodbye and saying that good work has been done in Ephesus. And I know that the gospel will continue even if I am not there. He says, 
even though I know that these terrible things are about to happen to me. These things don't count, nor do I hold my life dear to myself so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to fully testify to the good news of the grace of God. So he says, I don't care that these things are about to happen to my life. My life is not my own. I am doing everything I can to spread the good news of Jesus. I did it in Ephesus. You guys know that I did. And now I'm going to go to Jerusalem and do the exact same thing, even though I know something bad is going to happen to my life. I told you guys that I went on a youth retreat actually this past weekend. And one of the things that the pastor preached about while I was there was how different modern day Christianity is from the Christianity of old, where people were literally hiding in their houses and hiding in caves and in shelters and anywhere else that they could because it was actually dangerous for them to be Christians. And here in America, we've gotten so complacent and so lazy in our Christian life because it is so easy to be a Christian here in America. Now, of course, as America continues down the path it's going, it's getting less and less easy to become a Christian, but still overall, it is very easy comparatively to be a Christian in America than it is to be a Christian basically anywhere else in the world. America has freedoms, other places didn't. And so these these Christians would have to hide their Bibles and would have to hide their gatherings in order to not be tortured to death, in order to not die. There are so many stories out there of Christians who have escaped so many persecutions and lived to tell the story of what happened to them because of the fact that they were Christians. And yet Paul, he knows that these tortures are going to happen to him and he is willing to walk right into them without any fear of losing his own life. So why? What causes somebody to be so bold and so unafraid of losing their own life and being tortured to death potentially for the sake of the gospel message? It's because people like Paul and other Christians around the world knew that what they believed in was the truth and that the truth was worth dying for. The truth was worth being tortured for. And the truth is that Jesus died for us, was tortured for us, for our sins. An innocent man was tortured for us. So if we're tortured or if we're killed for the sake of the gospel message, we become even more like Christ. And those like Paul and other Christians who are willing to walk right into that type of persecution, they knew that the gospel message was worth dying for in order to spread the loving message of Jesus to even more people. Faithful listeners, one of the things we can do as Christians to change the culture a little bit is to support causes that are important to the Christian way of life. And one of the causes that this ministry, P40 Ministries, supports is Seven Weeks Coffee because they donate 10% of everything that they make to pregnancy centers across the U.S. And over the past two years, they raised more than $200,000 
for women in need. So you're going to see Seven Weeks Coffee linked in the description of this podcast episode. And it is the coffee brand that I enjoy drinking. It is a very, very good coffee brand. It's also low acid for those of you who struggle with, uh, like I do, with coffee that kind of messes up your stomach. It's, it's very good coffee. Check it out. You'll see it linked in the description of this episode. Faithful listeners, I will see you tomorrow for an episode out of 1 Samuel. It's going to be a great episode. I'm very excited to talk about it because it is the first sin that Saul commits as king of Israel. So check it out tomorrow, 6 a.m. or whenever you choose to wake up and listen. Happy listening and God bless.